This is one of those books that when you read it, it um, it's so rich. It's like, it's like you know when you, when you eat something that's so rich, but there's not much in it. It's like small, but because it's so powerful, it just fills you up. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those things. With Romans, you can only take a little bit of, a uh, little piece at a time. That's why we go through it in sections. Because if you were to take a whole bunch in, all at the same time, it would blow your mind. It's something you have to take bit by bit, chunk by chunk. And that's what we're doing. And if I can, uh, I stole that from another church. So I didn't make that. I just Googled it and stole it. Don't tell anyone. Uh, so... Uh, uh, delete that from our podcast uh, for the three people who listen. Anyway, uh, so next one, next slide. That's oh, uh, all right, uh, So this here is just a breakdown of how we're going to go through the book of Romans. And it was an introduction um, uh, for Romans uh, because this, is, this book is written to multiple crowds in one place. Is written to a different people group all in one place. They haven't, they're all not um, people meeting in one place who all have the same heart, same beliefs, same backgrounds. There's different people meeting together all at the same time. And so he's written this profound book and the language and the, 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 uh, the book is so uh, intellectual and so pointed in the way that it's written that actually encapsulates male, female, Jew, Gentile, everyone into one and says, hey, this is what the gospel says. Mm. And so what we did last week, uh, first week, I broke down uh, this uh, because the theme of the whole book is that the gospel reveals God's righteousness, creates a new humanity, fulfills God's promise to Israel and unifies the church. Those four different uh, sentences there, the little breakdowns, if if they didn't happen, if one of those things didn't happen, Mm. the gospel would be, um, would not be effective, basically. All these things needed to happen for the fulfillment of the gospel, the prophetic words from the Old Testament. So this is a theme of Romans. It's basically taking everything that we need to know as Christians or those who believe and put it in one book. And so what we did last week was we went through uh, 1 verses 1 to 17. Then we're going to go through 1 verses 18 to, thir- 1 verses 18 to 32. So last week we unpacked Paul's greeting to the Roman church, who are a church he's never met before, but he's trying to connect with. Um, and he gives a prayer of thanksgiving, which he does at the start of every letter he writes. This letter is 7,000 words in length, whereas all of his other letters are 1,300 words in length. So this is a significant letter. This is a letter that he's written with a purpose, very matter of fact. And it's written because there's actually a Jewish-Gentile divide within the church. There's a Jewish-Gentile divide within the church, so what he's doing is writing to unite them once again. And so what we, what we uh, read was Paul's greeting, prayer of thanksgiving, and the righteousness of God. Because it's basically talking about that we need God so significantly. We need Him so much in our lives, but we need to, His righteousness. And through Jesus Christ, His righteousness is revealed. And through Jesus Christ, we are called righteous. And so he's talking about that. But then what we're going to go on to, into is we're going into Romans 1, verses 18 to 32. And before we go into it, I'm going to put a, not a disclaimer, but just let you know that what we're going into, we have to understand that the context of what I'm about to read is all part of a bigger letter. Because there's some confronting things about what I'm going to read. 
And so it's all part of a letter. Imagine if you read only one part of a letter and you took that as gospel. You took that as this is the truth. Imagine you're watching Charlie and the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and you come in just as a girl's been turned into a big blueberry. And then you walk out and it's like, I don't know what this movie is about, but it's whack. If we do that with if we do that with the Bible, with letters within the Bible, we're gonna think this is whack. This is crazy. This doesn't make sense. God's God is not a good God. And we've been singing about how God is good. And what we have to understand within this whole thing that God is good all the time. He's good, he's righteous, he's loving. So as we go into it, two things just to be wary of. Um, this letter, which is a letter written to a, a people group, this is a letter. It's not synon- it's re- what we're reading is not synonymous with the culture we currently live in. So that means that we, this is written to AD 50, 50 years after AD 50, 50 years after Jesus died. They didn't have cars, no Ubers, no text messages. They didn't have uh, political governments like we have now. They didn't have a whole bunch of stuff that we see as just normal. So the culture that he's writing to is not synonymous to, to the culture we live in now. And this is actually, this part here, and the reason I say it's quite confronting is because it is, because it's highlighting God's righteousness, which highlights the necessity of his yeah. grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. So for us to actually fully understand the power of the gospel, we have to understand the depravity of sin. Mm. For us to fully understand how much we are saved, we have to understand how far away we were from God. Yeah. It says in the song we sang before, while we were enemies. Yeah. So to understand this part, we have to understand. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's why my shoelace came undone. Thanks, Mandy. Give Mandy a round of applause. I hate my shoelace being undone. No, don't tie my shoelace, Mandy. That's all right. I'll just tuck it in there. So I'm going to read. What I'm going to read is I'm going to read the last part of one 16 to 17, then I'm going to go into this week's passage. So it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to make, uh, uh, made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to this in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading, degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, whoever is, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for the error. 
Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're, fully, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. You don't do that for a devotional reading every day. What are you, do, what are you doing for devotions today? Romans 1, 18-32. You know, like I was saying before, remember, for us to understand the gospel and its power, we have to understand the depravity of sin. Those who have been forgiven much, forgive much. You know, it's, it's one of those things where we read this, it can be very confronting because there's things that we read into it. Where we're coming from, we're coming from worldview that reads, that reads into this passage as opposed to sitting back and saying, God, what are you saying through this passage? So I, I say, lay aside everything and just see what is God saying through this. You know, the first thing, I'm going to break it down verse by verse so we can do this well. But the first thing, if we actually look at on this next slide, from 18 to 25, it actually talks about idol worship. The whole thing over the top of these seven verses is the worship of idols. Even though we might not see that, that's what it's been broken down into. And what has happened is God is addressing, or Paul is addressing humanity's decision to put idols above himself. And if you, in the Old Testament, it says in the Ten Commandments, if you know it, it's, it says that have no God other than myself. That's the first commandment. And so what he's doing, he's reaching once again, he's reaching the Jewish community in this section by quoting the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. And what he's then doing is he's bringing in the Gentiles by talking about the, uh, the worship of idols. Because what's happened here, and as we go through it, we'll see that actually, the, like I said, they gave up the image of God. They gave up God, worship of God, and created images of God. Things that they could see, that they could understand, so they could worship that instead of worshiping God. Are you with me still? All right, and just like I was saying, uh, until Romans 3.20, it's going to be intense. Until R Romans 3.20, it's going to be intense. But after that, it's going to be nice and we can pat ourselves on the back and feel good about it. But until then, we actually need to paint a picture of how much we need God. And it's the wrath of God. It talks about this wrath. And when you think of wrath, you think of the wrath of someone uh, inflicting punishment upon someone else. We think of anger upon someone else. The thing is, God does not inflict punishment upon people but upon sin God loves all people but his wrath falls upon sin that's why Jesus is so important because Jesus took sin and destroyed it so when we're looking at wrath and what we have to be careful of is we don't see God as this God up in heaven who's throwing down lightning bolts every time you say the swear word or you watch Lord of the Thrones, Game of Thrones or anytime that you do something that is we don't know whether that's sin or not or whether that's godly or not. 
God's not up there throwing down thunderbolts. Do you know what? Wrath is actually translated as. Wrath is leaving people to their own devices. Sometimes what we think is, if I do something bad, God's going to strike me down with lightning. There's wrath here. Actually talks about that. God gives them up Mm. to their own devices. And I don't know about you, but if someone gave me up to a try and make bread without a recipe, I'd screw up. Mm. Try and live a life without God and you'll make decisions that fall by the wayside, that miss the mark. That's the beauty of God. Is that when we know Him, when we know Jesus Christ, we understand that this wrath to give, give ourselves up to our own devices is not on us anymore, but it's on Jesus. And Jesus has dealt with it. Anyway, we're just in the first verse here. How good is this? It's good because so often what we look at and we say, God is a wrathful God. And I've heard it before said that the way you come into the kingdom is the way that you're sustained within the kingdom. And so sometimes what we do is we feel like I need to self-inflict punishment on myself to make myself seem better for God. Whereas actually God's saying that Jesus took his second all punishment. Jesus has taken all punishment, all wrath ever. Mm. You need to understand grace now. Because grace changes, but grace empowers. I'm going off notes here because the spirit is... <laughs> but grace changes, grace empowers. Grace allows us to live a life where it's like we've got an umbrella and the rain's no longer hitting us. And we can stuff up. We can make mistakes, but God says, no, I've dealt with it. Keep walking with me. So the wrath of God, I tell you, understand God hates sin. Why? Because sin hurts you. Sin hurts people. God hates sin. Sin was an invention of the enemy. Sin causes us to be separate from God. God hates sin. We can't deny it. I'm not going to change the Bible Mm. for that. We can't deny it. You know, and like I was saying that we, we, we don't need to we can't, it's called anamorphism. It's when we see God through the understanding, well, through human attributes. God, we can't do that. We can't limit God that way. Mm. God is angry. Ah, I remember when my dad was angry. Mm. Ah, God must be like that angry. Dad's never been angry. What am I saying? It's like, I remember when my wife was angry. <laughs> I love you, Megs, my queen. You know, this is significant. This shows us that the wrath of God is poured out upon Jesus Christ. Mm. So we need to understand that, but we can't then go and live lives that said, ah, what of it? We need to, because we need to show people. We need to show people by the way that we live. And when we go to verse 19 to 25 further, it basically talks about, it's very easy to see God in the world around you. You know, when I saw a baby my son born for the first time, I was like, there is a God. How can there not be a God? When I learned that there's something called the breath of life, a child has this liquid in their lungs while they're growing up. And then when they're born, there's this breath of life where they, you know when everyone's like, smack the baby's bum and make sure that they're breathing. What happens is this liquid gets, either gets coughed out or absorbed into their body. 
And it shows me that God is smart. God is good. God has a plan for things. You know, so how can we look around us and look at the sun and the moon and the stars and say, ah, that happened by chance. How can we look at the miracle of Martin last week? We had a cancerous lesion on his body. They went to the doctors. He was about to have surgery and the doctor said it's no longer there. This is an anomaly. You can't. A, a big bang didn't get rid of Martin's cancer. And if it did, I need to start studying that. But I don't believe it did. And I don't believe it ever will. You're starting to see my true colours here. Good. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. God is not hiding himself from you. God is not hiding himself from you. For since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What we have to understand is what Paul is writing. He is writing to the Gentiles and the Jews. But the Jews and the Gentiles were both involved in idol worship. There's a point within the story of Moses where God brings them out of Egypt and says, you have been set free. Then what happens is these people who've just been set free from Pharaoh and this Red Sea was parted, much like this aisle here, but a lot bigger. This Red Sea has been parted and people have walked through one side of the Red Sea to the other side of the Red Sea. This has happened. Then they get into the desert and then they start saying, well, actually, I don't know if that was God. That might have just happened. You know, when the wind comes this way and the wind comes that way, it's the God of wind. It must have been the God of wind. The God of wind did that. Hey, let's then make a, a picture, an image of the God of wind. And so they erected a statue of a fan. And so what happens is they've got, that's a joke, they didn't. Uh, but it's like, they're saying that God, who's created and done these miracles time after time after time, they've gone to this place in their lives where they're like, actually, we... It wasn't God. We're going to create our own idol. We're going to create our own idol because even though we've seen him, we're not going to glorify him. We're not going to give thanks to him. You know, for me, you know, I think we start to look to other things other than God when we don't trust God. Mm. You know, my son is low-key obsessed with me. That's okay, I'm, I'm fully obsessed with him. You know, it's, um, he knows that when he comes to me, I'll give him what he needs, whether it's what he wants or whether what I know that he actually needs in that point in time. You know, but imagine if he's like, oh, I'm not going to get it from dad, so what instead I'm going to do is I'm going to go to someone else within the church, someone else within this vicinity and say, actually, oh, I want food or something or other. When he gets his language and starts asking for something from someone else because the one who knows him, the one who created him, he's like, well, I don't trust you to give what I need, even though I want what I want, but you, you're not giving me what I want. So I'm going to go to Anisha and she's going to give me TV time. You know, it's how often in our lives do we create this, this thing that God doesn't care for us? He's holding back something from me 
He's evil. He's not good. So what we then do is we then go and find something that takes the place of God on the throne and we say that this job fulfills me more than God. This partner, this addiction, these things fulfill me more than God. It's so easy to slip into it. And that's why we need the grace of God. That's why we need the cross. Because even though we know God, we don't always glorify Him with our actions. And this is very. This is what the Roman Church did as well. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. You know, rejecting God, the truth of God, doesn't make us more eloquent, smarter, better. It makes us foolish. And this, like I said, this is quite confronting language. It makes us foolish to th- say, I know better than God. I'll make the decisions for my life. I'm the master of my, my destiny. You know, I'd, if I had to decide when I was five years old where I'd be at 30, man, I would, I'd be a, a football player. I'll be a rock star at the same time. I'll probably be a fireman and a chef and a nurse because at some point in time, these are all things that I wanted to do. But lo and behold, I'm a pastor. But God knew that from the beginning. My parents knew that for a very long time. People called it out of me 10 years ago. But if I was up to my own decisions 10 years ago, I probably would have stayed in Australia and tried to pursue a, a career in sport. But I was too old and I was too injured. And so I'd just been an old dude trying to play sport but not get anywhere. And I was talking about the past, which I don't do very often. But I do sometimes. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. You know, they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox in the Old Testament, an animal that eats grass. You know, where's the respect and the honor in that? That we're saying, God, hey, God, we magnify you like an ox. You know, what, what Paul's saying here is the, the foolish thinking of the Roman people. And this is, I'm going to say this, the culture back then was very open. A lot more people believed in God or deities than they do now. Mm. Now we believe in science and YouTube. Back then, it's like if you didn't believe in God, you were an outcast. Or you didn't believe in a God. So what's happened is they've exchanged God, Yahweh. And they've exchanged this God for the God of fertility the God of war. You know that Nike is actually the God of war. Yeah, it's, who knew that? I love my Nikes. You're going to war against the enemy. Anyway, you know, can you, can you kind of see where I'm getting at? Is that we're, I'm painting a picture here that shows the state of the human heart without God. A state of human heart where we start grasping for things to make us feel better. Start grasping for things because, hey, I'm not feeling this. 
I'm not feeling this whole God thing, so I'm going to create my own God. You know, I don't know about you, but when's the last time you had a conversation with God where you said, God, I surrender this part of my life to you. I surrender this part of my life to you. I hate surrender. I will never surrender. I am stubborn. My wife and I, we always talked about Meg's being the stubborn one. I am so stubborn. Surrender is not easy for me. But you know, if there's one thing that I've learned about running a church, being a husband, being a dad, and being just a person, is that, man, I need God. Man, I need God. You know, God is so good. And the Roman people, much like we do nowadays, we exchange the holiness of God for, for something we can get out of eBay or whatnot, something we can, we can create. Because when you create something, you can control it. You know, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. You know, this one, what we have to understand here is we're still talking about idolatry. We're talking about sexual impurity and we're still talking about idolatry. You know, it's, it's quite confronting, like I said before, to talk about this stuff. It is quite confronting because we don't want to. We don't want to because there's, an, there's, a, there's shame that is attached to sex. You know, I've never talked about sex in this church before, but today's the day. Look at that. <laughs> anyway. It says here that God gave them over. Like I was saying before, the wrath. God gave them over by saying, I love you. You have free will choice. Even though I have a, an order, a plan, guidelines, rules, things for your protection... Because I love you, mm. I will let you. <laughs> How amazing is that? Because when you look at it, it's like, in hindsight, you're kind of like, God, I wish you hadn't let me make my mm. own decision. Mm. But then you fight so long, you petition so hard. Let me do my own thing, God. I had this feeling, I had this thought, yeah, it must be right. And then God's like, hey, I've got a plan for your life. Yeah. Not to harm you. To prosper you for a future and a hope. And so what God is saying is, uh, all right, all right, you can do your thing. Mm. I'm here when you're ready to turn around and come back. I'm here. But you can make your own decision. Because the thing is, we have to understand this. If, if God did not give us control of free will choice, God would not be loved. Because love does not control. Yeah. Love does not control, but love gives free will choice. You know, it says in, in the marriage vows, in sickness and in health, better or worse. You know, I think we should add it there in right and wrong. When we make decisions that turn out to be wrong, mm. that I'll still love you. Mm. When I spend too much money on clothes, I'll still love you. When we... When I get caught doing something unsavory, I'll still love you. Mm. You know, God is a God. Even though it says that, hey, his wrath is mainly saying, well, actually, no, my wrath was poured out on Jesus. Mm. But 
you have a free will choice. So sometimes God's wrath is actually Him just letting us do our own thing. You know, then we go into 25 and they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creative, the creator who was forever praised. Amen. You know, and this is a thing like how often do we do we change things into lie about God? You know, and this morning we actually we actually um, prayed just before we came here. We prayed that God that um, the truth will reign. Mm. You know, God's truth will reign in our lives forever. Yeah. Then we jump on to verse tw- 1, 26 to 27. And this part, we talked about idolatry. Then this part here goes and talks about sexual sins. And they gave them over to shameful lust. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way that men also embedded natural relations with women were inflamed with lust for another, men committed shameful acts with other men and received from themselves the Jupiter only for their error. Before we get into any philosophy about anything, I'm just going to say that we, when we then go on, it then talks about gossip, slander, and then brings all these things into the same boat. And what, what we have to realize here is, once again, we're talking to the context of a society back in the day that actually God allowed them to engage in their shameful lusts. You know, the word unnatural talks about that they exchange the natural function for an unnatural function. You know, I've only done human biology for like a couple of years, but nature, a natural function reproduces itself. I don't know where you stand on that, but what he's saying is that he says that Men and women, gave, they were given over to their own sexual desires with one another. And we have to understand, this is not just men and men and women and women. This is men and women and men and men and men and women. This is everyone. This is one just big party. The Romans, I think there's no children here. The Romans were known for their parties that focused just on this. I don't want to go into too much detail, but as I was reading this, I was actually quite appalled because they also didn't have... An, an age limit in Rome. They also had eunuchs who were treated as sex slaves. Like, even though we're talking about this thing, something that is unnatural, something that is lustful, God's nature is love. Something that is unnatural is lust. When there's something that doesn't love build up the other person, what is happening is we're going into a territory that is godless. You know, God let them do whatever they wanted to do. They did not care about God's law. They didn't care about the natural order. You know, it talks about that um, they were given over, they, sorry, what's the verse? Uh, due penalty for the errors. A lot of theologians and scholars just think that's sexually transmitted diseases. The effect of that, STDs or STIs rather. So they were given over to these things, but within that, because they were given over to it, what's happened is people are facing the consequences of the fallout of this. You know, there was no shame. 
And like I said, idolatry, people worship their own bodies more than they worshiped God. So therefore, they abused their own bodies more than they worshiped God. You know, it's something that before we get too comfortable on, the, on this side of the holy dance floor, before we get too comfortable on this side of the holy dance floor, it says, furthermore, God allowed them to do these such sinful deeds. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they ought do what they ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. All right, question. Who has ever disappointed their parents? Who has ever gossiped? Who has ever been boastful or arrogant? Who has ever... Um, slandered someone behind their back. We all, I think we all have. But we'll call it not slander, we'll call it criticism. <laughs> no, it's just because I care about them. I'll tell someone else about them, mm-hmm. about the wrong things they did, because I really care that they come yeah. overcome that. Yeah. Who's ever been envious? I'm not go- I don't want to ask if anyone's murdered someone before, <laughs> but who's been deceitful? I've been deceitful. You know, what God is saying here is that these, were actually, these are actually things that in other Jewish and Christian books, Paul actually does uh, address. What, but what he's saying is that what we have to be careful of is that the whole thing, before we get focused on just uh, isolating a certain group of people, we have to understand that we ourselves need grace. Sin is sin. Separation from God is separation from God. Jesus is Jesus. You know, we are all requiring of the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. We are all in desperate need to get free from the entrapment of sin. So what we have is we have this hope that even though what's happened here, we're talking about, we're talking about People, this Roman um, context where slavery was a reality, you know, where we where were dabbling in crazy, crazy things. It was, it was very primitive. We're now looking at our own lives and saying, well, what in our own lives? Where do we need God? Where do we need grace? I'm no better than anyone else. The cross was still necessary for me. And what and Paul saying this exact thing. We are all needing Jesus. By the end of Paul's life, he says, "I am the chief of sinners." This man who writes this says that I need God's grace more than you, because I'm aware of God's holiness more than you. You know, it's such an important passage. Not in the way that it encourages us, because honestly, it's not the most encouraging passage to read. But in the way that it shows us that the cross was sufficient. It will always be sufficient for all of our needs. To cover sin, its past, 
in its future. The gospel reminds us that even though our past is so tainted by sin and its consequences, God has set us free and is redeeming, restoring and reconciling us once again. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that even though we might not understand everything that goes on in life and we might not always always know how to respond to things, God, we thank you that you are good. You have created a space for us to work through our questions and confusion whilst all, this, all, all the while knowing that our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. So God, I just thank you that as we travel through this book of Romans, Lord, I pray that you would create a depth in us, a depth that wasn't there before, a depth that doesn't make us holier than now, but a depth that causes us to show your love and grace because we know how necessary it is for all people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you want to have a chat to me afterwards, I'm more than happy to have a chat to you. If not, just go.